This the remix. Takes the snap. Back to pass. Steps up. Runs up the middle. Into the end zone. Touchdown, Teddy! And he went in untouched. And he runs the Vikings to a 16-15 lead. Third down and goal from the five. Kamara the tailback. Jags rush four. Bridgewater throws back to the end zone. Caught! Jared Cook, touchdown, back in the end zone, and that is a huge score by the New Orleans Saints. The Las Vegas Review-Journal. Bridgewater takes a gun snap, quick throw, caught Mike Thomas at the five, breaks one tackle, walks into the end zone! Mike Thomas, touchdown! I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hogwash. Uh, I mean, we've got a guy named Jared Jones-Smith who we signed off the street last week who we we think is a chance to be a really good football player. The Las Vegas Journal Review. Just being a little sarcastic and having a little fun here. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Jared Jones-Smith. I'm never going to get over that. I don't think I'm ever going to get over Jared Jones-Smith. Okay. I'm never going to get over signed off the street given he was already on the team. (laughs) Very strange. (laughs) Okay, so we had an interesting trade in the AFC West yesterday because the Denver Broncos traded for Teddy Bridgewater. Now, they sent a sixth-round pick to Carolina, plus the Panthers are going to pay $7 million of Teddy Bridgewater's $10 million contract for this season. So the Broncos gave up a sixth, and they pay 30% of what Bridgewater uh, is set to receive this year. So what do you think the Broncos are doing? I don't know because, and you might totally disagree with this, I think they're almost the same guy. Like, I don't think one is, like, exponentially better than the other. So, and I'm not saying Drew Locke's great. I'm not saying that. I just don't think, and I I think the assumption out there or the perception is that Teddy Bridgewater's a lot better and I don't think that's the case. So I they might still draft a quarterback, right? They might still take one. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater, they don't like Drew Locke as the bridge, so obviously sudden Teddy Bridgewater's bridge, and they'll bring him in, and he can play for a year or whatever. I don't think they upgraded that much, so my guess is maybe they're still thinking about, you know, Bridgewater can take us for a year or two, but we like someone on the board, and we're going to get a quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I think Bridgewater is better than Drew Locke, but we're talking about like, oh, Drew Locke is the 31st best quarterback and Bridgewater is the 27th best quarterback or something yeah, so like that. Like, like, it's not like 10 to 32. I mean, right. It's not, it's, that big of a it's not a substantial difference. Maybe he's worth one more win in the, over the course of a yeah. season. Maybe, if that. So I, I'm fascinated because I think if you're the Broncos – you're still taking a quarterback or, or mm-hmm. trying to take a quarterback. I mean, they're picking ninth, so they might all be gone before they get there right. if they don't trade up. But you're still considering taking a quarterback. And Teddy Bridgewater doesn't really change that because the good thing for the Broncos is they didn't really give up a whole lot to get Bridgewater. A sixth-round pick is is nothing, really. And paying $3 million, that's that's kind of a lot if he's your backup. But paying $3 million for Bridgewater – it's not like the Marcus Mariota deal where he was eating $10, $11 million in the cap last year to never play. Well, he played once against the Chargers. So I think you're still in the market to draft a quarterback, and this is simply a, hey, Bridgewater is better than Drew Locke, so if we have to start Teddy Bridgewater next year, we upgraded slightly at the quarterback position, and if we draft a quarterback, then – awesome Teddy Bridgewater's a better backup than Drew Locke like that to me is is sort of 
how I see it because I can't imagine the Denver Broncos said, we're going to trade for Teddy Bridgewater and that's it. They wipe their hands and say our quarterback position is fixed. No, I mean, yeah, I don't think exactly. You're not taking Teddy Bridgewater with the idea as your quarterback for the next five years. He hasn't proven that he should be in the realm. Now, again, you're like you said, they didn't give up much, so they might have more confidence in him than we think, and he is going to be the replacement of Locke, and they won't get a quarterback. But how have you seen Teddy Bridgewater to this point and think he should be lo- your long-term answer? Like, I, I don't know how you do that. Um, so, and But I think they might also have to trade up. I'm not – see, I'm just not buying in fields is going to drop that much. Um, so I think if you're sitting there and three are gone and you're at like six or seven – you might have to make a move because if the four go, then then you, then you probably go somewhere else and, to, and just wait till wait beyond that and get a quarterback. And if you're doing that, then Teddy Bridgewater will start next year. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'd imagine. I mean, if you're getting like Kyle Trask in the second or third round, he's not starting. So yeah. if they don't get one in the top ten, then Teddy Bridgewater is your starter. I have to uh, imagine the path for the Broncos' success if they do indeed start. Teddy Bridgewater because they miss out on one of the first round quarterbacks. The 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 one upside to Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke that I think could be significant is Bridgewater is much more of the game manager type quarterback. Like when he went in for the Saints the two years ago when Drew Brees got hurt, like they didn't ask him to throw the ball down the field. Everything was short, but it was hey, they've got a good roster and a solid defense. Just don't be terrible and you'll probably still win most of the games. And they they did. They won all of them that he was the starter in. So I think that's sort of like the Broncos could have a good defense. They might have the best defense in the AFC West. Like they might be looking at as, hey, we have a good defense. Just don't be terrible and have four interceptions. Just manage us to a 21-17 win, and we might be a little bit better. But at the end of the day, as we sit here right now before the first round, the Denver Broncos still have the fourth-best quarterback in the division. Yeah. Teddy Bridgewater, they, they yeah. still have the fourth-best quarterback. They did yeah. not improve enough to say to make anything significant. So no. I still think they got to draft one if, if, it's, if it's there for them. Like if there's one that falls to nine or if they can trade up and take one, I still think they have to draft one because Bridgewater just can't be the answer. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are probably like surprised what, what everything we're saying because they probably remember those five games New Orleans don't remember last year. And I just – I'm not – enamored with him at all i think he's a very average quarterback and i would not make him the if you're trying to compete in that division i you know i mean i'm i guess that means for second place at this point um i don't think he's i don't think he's the guy i think he makes them the fourth best team in that division i think i mean my opinion is it's kansas city chargers raiders them uh because i just i give the edge to the Chargers over the raiders only because i think herbert's just going to get better and better and I, I just think they're a better team um I, you know, I, I know people, you know, Raider fans go, how can you say that? I, I think the Chargers are going to be better. I, if I'm picking next year, I put the Chargers second. Well, the Raiders also dismantled their offensive line. And the Chargers, this just didn't have guys that are hard to block. <laughs> so I, I, I think the, the problem for, I think you put the Raiders and the Broncos in the same category. The problem for those two teams is neither one are bad enough that you're going to get a top five pick. Like, both of those rosters are, are okay. So you're going to win six to nine games, and you're going to be picking around 10 to 15. But because Patrick Mahomes is in the division, it's really hard to envision the Raiders or the Broncos winning this division for the next five years. Like, you're basically counting on 
Patrick Mahomes getting hurt. Now, the Chargers are in a little bit different scenario because they have some hope that Justin Herbert can become a star quarterback. Yeah. And if you have, yeah. and if he does, then you might be able to compete with the Chiefs, especially in the next few years while Herbert's on his rookie contract. But for the Raiders and Broncos, like Carr's good, but he's not a superstar quarterback, and he's probably never going to be that. And for the Broncos right now, Teddy Bridgewater definitely isn't that. It's like they have good rosters, but they're not good enough to compete with the Chiefs, and they're not bad enough to actually get a top-five pick. So it kind of feels like both these teams are going to be stuck in purgatory for like five years. Yes. Yeah. They're 17 games, you know, eight, nine, nine, eight. That, we've talked about it before. It's a horrible spot to be in because you're picking 17th like they are this year. It's a terrible spot to be in, in my opinion, as your quarterback gets older. He's going to start for the eighth straight year this year. That's it. I mean, it's not, it's not he's old, but he hit 30. It's his eighth straight year. At some point, you're going to think about the future past him. And you're right, Herbert has obviously, this early in his career, Herbert has much more upside than Carr, just given their ages and where they're at and how good Herbert was last. You can see the trajectory of that guy just taking off. Um, and I also think, you know, you make a good point. It's not, hey, can you go to Kansas City and win and drive the bus around the lap for a few laps? <laughs> it's like, it's 17 games. And over 17 games, so next foreseeable future, Mahomes is winning that division unless he gets hurt. Like, you know, you can have your one shot here and there, but over 17 games, you're just not going to be better than them as long as he's there and, and they keep making good decisions skill-wise and all that. So I'm with you. I, the Raiders, to me, like the Raiders are far, let's say the Raiders are far closer to the Broncos than they are the Chiefs, right? I mean, yeah. like are you closer yeah. to last or first? They're far closer to the Broncos. Yeah, they are. Let me ask you this on the quarterbacks. Is Marcus Mariota better than Bridgewater Andrew Locke? If I start in a game tomorrow, I would start Marcus Mariota. Over I think so too. I and to me that that's funny that the Raiders like if you were yep. ranking all the quarterbacks in the AFC West, you would probably go Mahomes, Herbert, Carr, Mariota, Mariota. before you before yes. you get to any of the guys that play for the yeah. Denver Broncos. Which is it's funny. It's it's that hey if they had gotten Mariota in the offseason instead of Bridgewater, you'd feel a little bit better. Not that much, but you feel a little bit better than about getting Bridgewater. And I might, after Mariota, I might uh, say the Bron the uh, Broncos or uh, Chargers, or excuse me, the Chiefs or Chargers backups comment if I knew who they were. I Well, the, the Chargers no longer have Tyrod Taylor. If they, they had Tyrod Taylor, I don't oh, know who yeah. their backup is. I'm assuming they have a nobody for their backup because who would want to be Justin Herbert's backup? You're, you have no chance of playing till the end of time. Um, but is Chad the Chiefs, Henney still the, we, the Chiefs? Chiefs? I should know. It's Chad Henney. Okay, okay. Is it Chad Henney? <sighs> Chad Henney or Bridgewater? I mean, I would have taken Tyrod over Bridgewater a lot also pretty quickly. Now, Chad Henney, there's probably a conversation to be had. Oh, boy. It's uh, – okay. <laughs> what? The Chargers – the Chargers' new backup. The Chargers' new backup. <laughs> the Chargers' new backup is 35-year-old Chase Daniel. Okay, I'm taking Bridgewater. He's still in the league? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Chase Daniel. Has yes. Chase Daniel out here just stealing money. Chase, Chase Daniel. Chase his... Daniel would be the guy, like Tyler said. Like, Tyrod's probably like, you know what? This kid's really good, but I'm still pretty good. I want to start or have a better chance. I'm not playing over this guy. If you're Chase Daniel, he's like, yeah, what do I care? I'm never playing again. I'll be the backup and make some money and just he's, stand there. He's never played ever. Well, <laughs> then he continues on. He's been a great, consistent player at that he's point. He's a consistent clipboard holder. <laughs> he's he's still... always got the Gatorade ready when the, the starter comes yeah. off the field. Chase Daniel has started five games in his career. Oh, he's the guy who holds the starters flex fit hat so he can hold his, so he can take his helmet and let the guy put the cap on. 
Yeah, it's like, where's my flex fit hat? Here it is, buddy. Give me your helmet. Chase Daniel um, apparently is me. He just keeps failing upward despite like mediocre performance. Well, he doesn't fail. He never plays. So how could he fail? Um, Chase Daniel, this these are he's played for what is this, six different teams in the last seven seasons. Wow. That is incredible. He hey, he finished that's... in Kansas City, Philadelphia for a year, New Orleans for a year, Chicago for two, Detroit last year, and now on the Chargers. It's good. He's going to be a backup. Get it? Is he he's going to be a backup for the whole damn league soon? Is he just? I need him and Ryan Fitzpatrick to be like super glued together so that we can have like a cat with a piece of buttered toast situation. <laughs> so that it's like, well, which do we start? Neither. Well, Fitzpatrick always finds a way to start. Chase Daniel never does. Well, you name you name Chase Daniel the starter, and you know Fitzpatrick will be the starter. That's true. That is true. Has Chase Daniel ever been named a starter besides like when the, his the quarterback got hurt ahead of him? Chicago like Bears. He, the Chicago Bears named him the starter and immediately traded up to draft Mitch Trubisky. Ah, uh, so did they have one of those Andy Dalton moments where they tweeted out QB one? Yes. <laughs> Such a great tweet. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs, and we will get into the newest transfer for UNLV basketball. Here's Henning in trouble. Trying to run for it. Running. He's going to die for it. And the mark is going to be close. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe they let him get him free. And I think they've spotted him just shy. It'll be fourth and a foot. Chad Henney may have just sent Kansas City into the AFC Championship game. Putting your body on the line. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Bischoff's Briefs. Son, I didn't understand a word you just said. Bischoff's Briefs. Hey, thanks. That is not a compliment. Ah, I disagree. Bischoff's Briefs. Okay, well, that was just a list of complete nonsense, but you're not totally wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. Off-season, the transfer portal. What a great time to be a UNLV basketball fan. They're going to have a whole new roster, and they've got a new player. Michael Nuja is transferring in from Kent State. He is the seventh player that Kevin Kruger has added in the transfer portal. And there is a lot to like about Michael Nuja. First off, he scored 17.8 points per game last year for Kent State. Now, he only played in 13 games. He tore his ACL, um, but he has said he expects to be ready to go for the start of the season in November. But he only played in 13 games, and he was an excellent scorer. Um, 17.8 points per game is more than anybody else at UNLV on the current roster has scored at any level. Um, Justin Webster is the was the leading scorer with his 12 points per game at Hawaii. Uh, but my favorite part about Michael Nuja is that he took 170 shot attempts last year, and only one of them was a mid-range jumper. Everything he shot was either a three or a layup. And he finished well at the rim. He made 64% of his layups, and he made 38.5% of his threes a good number as well. So he finished at the rim well, shot well from three, 
doesn't take mid-range jumpers. There's so much to love about that. The other concern, anytime UNLV gets a transfer from a school that's not a power conference school, is you got to be concerned a little bit about the, you know, how well are they going to translate to the Mountain West level? We saw that with David Jenkins as a good example last year. But Kent State to UNLV shouldn't really be that big of a difference. Uh, last year by Ken Palm, the Mountain West was the 11th best conference in college basketball. The MAC was the 12th best conference. So Kent State and, and Kent State and UNLV were both outside the top 100, but inside the top 200 in Ken Palm last year. Like they're very similar teams in very similar conferences. So I don't think this is going to be a massive jump for Michael Nuja. It's not like going from the Summit League or even in, in Justin Webster's case, coming from Hawaii, the Big West. Like the MAC is pretty similar to the Mountain West. So I don't know that he's going to average 17 points and shoot 38% from three while taking seven threes a game because that's a fairly ridiculous stat line. But I think it's fair to assume that he's going to have some success. He's going to be able to score 12, 13 points per game, and that might be his floor if he gets big minutes. So Michael Nuja and how his stats translate, it should be pretty even. Now, he also fills a couple of holes. He's a proven scorer, most accomplished scorer on the roster, and the shooting void because prior to getting Michael Nuja, Justin Webster was the only guy on the roster that was an above-average three-point shooter. Now they have two, which is still not a lot, but you have two guys that can shoot it well from three, and then you're hoping to get, you know, Nick Blake, Marvin Coleman, Jordan McCabe, Donovan Williams, those guys to be average shooters, and maybe your shooting could be okay throughout the year. I'd still like to see them add at least one more guy they can shoot, but maybe they'll be okay. Now, the interesting part of this is playing time, because there are now four guys competing for minutes on the wing. Nick Blake returns, Donovan Williams transferring in from Texas, Justin Webster from Hawaii, and Michael Nuja from Kent State. So a returner and three transfers. And we don't know this. I'm making the assumption here. But I assume when Kevin Kruger has been recruiting transfers, he's been telling them that there is playing time. He's been telling them, hey, if you come here, you will get to play minutes. They can't all play. Not all of those four can get big minutes unless UNLV goes to four and five guard lineups. But if they go to four and five guard lineups, that means you're pushing a different transfer out, like David Mwaka, the center, Royce Ham, or Victor Ewak are the power forwards. Basically, UNLV has seven incoming transfers right now. You throw in Nick Blake and Marvin Coleman as returners, and they've got nine guys that probably are expecting to play major minutes for UNLV next season. The problem is nine guys can't play major minutes for a college basketball team. Somebody is going to be left out. Multiple people are going to be left out, especially they've got two more spots left, especially if Kevin Kruger adds two more players that can play right away as well. So somebody is going to get left out. Now, that's a good thing for Kevin Kruger because he should continue to recruit over his roster. He should continue to try to improve his roster. And if there's a transfer out there that's better than what you have, absolutely, go get him. He should, he should never stop doing that. It's going to be interesting, though, to see how these battles for playing time play out and which guys are sort of pushed out after transferring in and expecting to play more minutes, how they handle that uh, next season, because it's going to happen to at least one, if not two or three players. So Michael Nugi, you told us all about him. Let me ask you this because I think more days, but we talked about this last week or earlier this week. I think the more days pass, the more likelihood is Bryce Hamilton is going to come back. So if that happens, 
And um, obviously to this point, kind of the worry was, can they score? Who's, who's making shots? Obviously, I think the Nuga is an answer to some of that. Put in perspective now, if Bryce Hamilton comes back, where you think they could ultimately fit in the Mountain West? So if Bryce Hamilton comes back, I'm curious what his role would be. Because Hamilton last year was inefficient, but kind of by necessity because nobody else on that team could create shots. If Bryce Hamilton comes back, I still think he's probably the best shot creator on this team. The problem is, is he creates inefficient shots. Michael Nuja, as an example, I don't think he's much of a shot creator. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watch Kent State play but he doesn't have any assist numbers and he doesn't get to the free throw line. So it suggests he's not the one that's beating guys off the dribble. Cause normally when you beat guys off the dribble, you have some assist numbers and you get fouled a decent amount. He doesn't have either of those. So I think Nuge is more of a catch and shoot guy and a guy that relies on other players to create their offense. So I'd be fascinated to see if Hamilton were to come back, what his role would be. How much is his role cut back? Because, Hey, you don't need to be taking 15 shots a game. You're not efficient enough to take that many shots. But if you get Bryce Hamilton back, I mean, it's it's a team that I think you go into next season expecting them to finish probably fourth or fifth in the Mountain West. They're not truly contenders in the conference, but they're a solid, uh, you know, above average Mountain West team. That would be my guess. And honestly, I'd probably put them in that spot right now i don't i mean they they need some more shooting and offense but i don't know that bryce hamilton makes a significant difference at this point if he comes back the percentage just on numbers and what you've seen and what you saw last year the percentage that nuga is better than caleb grill um pretty high uh because okay. a i think he, he his number the number says he's uh, as good if not better of a three-point shooter but he also can actually shoot layups. He actually gets some layups. And again, I'm not sure how he got those without having watched right, Kent State right. play. But Caleb Grill never got layups. Caleb Grill only shot three. So he seems to be a significant upgrade over Caleb Grill. Like, I, I genuinely think there's a chance that this is their leading scorer next year. Like if really? he, even, if if Bryce, sh- even if Bryce Hamilton comes back. Um, it, again, it'd be curious what they do with Hamilton and how many shots he gets to take, because obviously if Hamilton comes back and they give him the shots he had last year, Hamilton's going to lead the team in scoring. But if Hamilton comes back and they say, all right, Bryce, it's more like two years ago when, you know, Elijah Mitchell Long and Amori Hardy were taking a bunch of shots as well. If they treat, you know, Nick Blake and Nuja like that, or Justin Webster like that, then there's a chance Hamilton's still probably the favorite to be the leading scorer if he comes back. But the, the fact that he shot that Michael Nuja shot seven three pointers last year per game and made thirty eight percent of them. If he does that again, I mean you're you're gonna be you're gonna have some massive games where he hits seven eight threes in a game. So I, I think there's a chance he is even if Hamilton comes back. But you'd still with Hamilton back, you'd still put Hamilton as the most likely guy to lead the team to scoring. That's interesting, and I'd love to know what's happening with Bryce Hamilton. Whether like uh, I, I I thought last week, you know. Uh, you know, does he want to graduate soon or the units are transferred? I think that's playing into it. But also, I'd love to know what Kevin Kruger is selling. Is it we're putting better people around you? You're still the guy. You're still the star. You're going to get whatever you want. I don't know what they're selling. Or is it more that Bryce Hamilton is struggling maybe to find the fit he thought would be there when he went into the portal? I mean, look, there are people out there who would take Bryce Hamilton just on his numbers. I get that. But maybe he also had a few schools of mind. And if it didn't work out that way, Kevin Kruger's selling him on, hey, you need to come back and be the guy. 
Yeah, I, I, if I was Kevin Kruger, I would not be selling him on being the guy just because we saw two years of him being the guy and the teams weren't good enough to make the NCAA tournament. So I would be hesitant to do that. Um, my, my big issue is Hamilton is not good defensively and he doesn't shoot. And I, his role is, hey, he can create a shot, but it's an inefficient shot. And if that's what your offense is, your offense is not very good. So... I don't know how eager I would be to, hey, let's get Bryce Hamilton back and give him the ball and let it be his show. I, if I was Kevin Kruger, I wouldn't be selling that. I'd say, hey, there's a spot for you. You know, we'll, we'll get, you know, right. you'll be able to play here, but it's not going to be like last year where you were the guy and you were taking all the shots. Right. All right, coming up next, J.R. Starkis joins the show. Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Ready for the weekend? Let's find out what's on tap. We can provide you with a wine tasting tour of Tuscany. We cannot change why you drink. It's Thirsty Thursday with J.R. Starkus. Who needs a drink? So we drink and we drink and we drink Here on uh, sponsored by Liquor World is J.R. Starkus at J.R. Starkus on Twitter. Key account executive Southern Glaze Wine Spirits in Nevada. Instagram at J.R. Makes drinks how are you buddy good morning i'm doing great how about yourself uh not as good not as good as conor mcgregor uh we never have been actually um but we've got some questions on this proper 12 whiskey that he apparently sold his uh, stake in for 600 million dollars jared has already walked uh, given these evaluation of it stinks which makes conor mcgregor even a smarter businessman so can you in your line of work and sometimes we have to be careful here on what you can and can't talk about but proper 12 whiskey what do you think so uh, Proper 12 Whiskey is a brand that is, um, was originally supposed to be called Notorious, right? Because that's his, you know, sure. kind of his nickname, Notorious. Um, but that trademark, he, he tried to apply for the trademark. It got revoked. Um, or he, I shouldn't say revoked. It got denied because there was already somebody with the Notorious trademark. Um, so he then changed the name of it to, to Proper 12. Um, it is a whiskey that, you know, he does not make himself. It is basically um, there are many distilleries um, and places that take that he buys whiskey from, and he makes this blend of proper twelve. Um, I did hear Jared's assessment of it, and um, I will say that that is Jared's assessment that he gave earlier is uh, very accurate to for a lot of people. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> Because it's you know it, it is it was a brand that I had discussions with of a few people before. Um, it's changed. It's had several um, you know several different flavors, if you will. At first, when the brand came out, it was actually um, kind of sweet. Um, I think it still maintains some of that sweetness, um, but but uh, but they changed the flavor profile a little bit to make it a little bit more of what some people would consider like a typical Irish whiskey, um, but. You know, uh, like any good businessman, buy low, sell high, and he did exactly that. I mean, um, it's going to be interesting to see what the company who purchased it, um, it's actually owned now by the Beckman family, who is the same owners of Jose Cuervo, Tequila, and stuff like that. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the brand that does that no longer has the name of its namesake, or if you will, like its, its largest celebrity endorser. Um so I'm I'm curious because I think as you guys were mentioning earlier today, a lot of people purchased that brand simply because of the celebrity attached with it, um, you know. And so we'll we'll see. I, it's going to be interesting. I don't see how it could possibly do as well. 
Um, but at the same time, uh, this is an industry that's pretty ripe with cash. So who knows what's going to happen? What are the chances that they keep Conor McGregor on just to do the commercials? Well, I mean, I guess they could, but then he would be, I guess he would be like this brand ambassador, and I can only imagine what he'd charge for that. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, can you imagine the, like, you imagine like the, 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 the you know, if he comes out and, and somehow they, they cross him the wrong way, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't pat, put it past somebody unless it's in some sort of contract that he can't ever speak negatively of the brand. What could you imagine, or some sort of non-compete? Could you imagine him coming out and going, "Yeah, I got all you. This is trash whiskey, and and you should never buy it again." And then just burying the brand because his loyalists are just like right there with him. Um, so I'll bet you that his somewhere in the paperwork that there's that written in there that he can never speak negatively of the brand in public or something like that. Okay, so locally it doesn't appear that anyone likes it. Let me ask you this then, because you do you did say it's a kind of an ample market and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, desire for, or for this. So to pay that much for something, you know, you and others might suggest is like, what's the point? Now, obviously you buy something to make money. Is it just, you know, other parts of the world like this more? I mean, why pay this much for this then? Well, I mean, they, they probably feel that, you know, they, they may feel that there's a, um, there's room for growth still. Um, you know, it's tough. Like the category leader in Irish whiskey is Jameson and it's not even close, right? It's not even close. Um, so to jump into that category in the first place is brave, right? There are a lot of great Irish whiskeys, but if you're trying to be a volume Irish whiskey, right? Something that people are like, yeah, we got to drink it all the time. When you go to a bar and you, somebody says, I'll have an Irish whiskey. Just the first thing that naturally comes out of your mouth 95% of the time, if you know, even Irish whiskey is Jameson, Right. It's just what people say. They have done a tremendous job. And, I mean, nobody, nobody, no brand comes remotely close to the numbers and the volume that they do. Um, so it's a brave venture anyway to get into that. I think Connor realized it. Like, hey, uh, um, you know, this is it's going to be tough. to. There's a point of diminishing returns or a point where you're putting so much money into this that it's, it's probably good for me to cash out. Um, I feel like he did the right thing. Um, but some of these brands feel like, hey, we can – we can use our, our clout. I mean, the Beckman family is one of the wealthiest families in the world. And so, I mean, there's money there for sure. JR, has there ever been a relaunch of any sort of alcohol like this? Like, I've tried Proper 12, and obviously I did not give it a glowing endorsement. But mm-hmm. if they were to adjust how it tastes or how it's produced... Is there any way that, that, like, has any brand actually ever done that where they've like, oh, we we fixed it? I mean, some brands, you know, I don't know if they would necessarily call it we fixed it. They would say they updated it, right? Um, it happens all the time, frankly. It happens all the time, whether they change the package. Now it tastes good. What's that? I was just making a joke. Now it no, tastes no, good. No, no, yeah, no. I mean, listen, I mean, you, the thing about spirits, right, and, and cocktails in general is you can't be all things to all people, and you never will be. Um, you, so, so it's, you know, you just have to do what you think you're doing is the right thing and, and do the best you can at it. So I admire that. Um, however, yeah, brands do it all the time, whether it's just like a, Hey, we're going to change this or that. And we're going to use this as an opportunity to repack the brand. And we're going to use it as an opportunity to relaunch this. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if you saw that, like they started making their own whiskey, for instance, because like I said, this family has a lot of money. Um, they would maybe have a distillery because this is not currently it's being bottled. If, if I'm not mistaken at Bushmills 
and but it's not made by Bushmills, just being bottled there, and they're buying casks from throughout Ireland um, of both, um, you know, column still and pot still whiskey. So it's a blend, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they decided that they wanted to start making their own whiskey, right? And then they would say, oh, Proper Twelve is now made um, by us, and it's made at our own distillery, and this is, you know, and then they change it like that so that. The, the people who know the brand may continue it, and the people who got off of it because Connor got off of it um, may give it another shot because it's quote unquote different now. So it's 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 you know it's it's a marketing tactic that um, that works for some, and and you know so we'll see what they do. But like I said, gosh knows they have plenty of money to do it if they want to do it. <laughs> oh, no one's a. Uh... I mean, people take a, sh- a shot at the guy for a lot of reasons, many justifiably so, but no one's taking a shot at this when you're walking away with $600 million, like you said, to sell high. Uh, what do you got for us today, buddy? So this weekend, of course, is the Kentucky Derby, right? So um, I felt it might be appropriate to, to to kind of walk people through a mint julep. Now, originally I was like, ah, you know, I know I've done juleps before, um, and I know I've spoken with them before because it's, I don't remember the exact day off the top of my head, but you would think that National Mint Julep Day would be like on Kentucky Derby, but it's not. It's some other day in the middle of the year. Um, but the most widely consumed day for the Mint Julep, without question, is Kentucky. Yeah, it's. it's <laughs> but the, <laughs> thank you. Uh, the most widely, the, the biggest day for consumption of, of Mint Julep is Kentucky Derby, right? So Saturday is Kentucky Derby Day. And my father actually reached out to me and he wanted to make some. He's like, Jake. How do I make, um, I want to make a mint julep this weekend. How do I do it? And so that's really what got me thinking. I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, if, if my father is reaching out to me, I should probably, you know, reiterate how to make a mint julep. So, um, you know, the first ingredient in the mint julep is going to be a, a quality whiskey, right? And there are a lot of quality whiskeys and bourbons in particular that are out of the market. Um, for this one, in, though, I would say, listen, stick to something from Kentucky, Okay. Now, bourbon can be made anywhere in the United States. It's it's the national beverage of the United States, um, so it's not just relegated to Kentucky. Um, however, about ninety percent of the consumption of bourbon, of the the production of bourbon, is from Kentucky. Um, so, for this drink, I highly encourage something from Kentucky. I'm choosing wild turkey because wild turkey is without question a classic a staple in the bourbon industry. It's on every bar, and it's something that you probably have in your liquor cabinet, and if not, you can certainly find it at any liquor store, um, and it's easy to drink, and it's been around for a very long time. Jimmy and Eddie Russell, father and son team, have over 100 years of distilling um, under their belts, and so it's it, it's a iconic, iconic brand. So I choose Wild Turkey 101 for this. And to make the drink, you really need... You need three ingredients specifically, and then there are two additional that you can kind of call them ingredients um, that you should have, but if you don't, then we can adjust. So the ingredients you absolutely do need are a bourbon of some sort. You'll need mint, and you'll need sugar or simple syrup. Those you absolutely need to make the drink, so that's, that's simple. The things that you should have, but you may not, but if you have it, you should have like a julep cup, um, obviously a little metal julep cup. If you don't have that, that's fine. You can use... Um, you know, a big tumbler or rocks glass or something like that. The other ingredient, though, is crushed ice. Crushed ice would be a great one to have here. I think it's, it kind of helps to make the drink because, as you're about to hear, the recipe is basically just booze. And so in order to <laughs> – Love you, it. 
Yeah. In order in order to uh, bring the proof down, the ice will help dilute the proof a little bit. So if you have all the ingredients, including the crushed ice and the julep cup, this is how you do it. You take your julep cup and you're going to take as much mint as you really want. This is kind of a fun piece to it, right? It doesn't matter how much or little mint you put into the drink because it's it's really more about how much mint you want to taste. So call it 10 pieces or 10 leaves of mint. You can adjust up or down depending on how much you like mint. And then I'm going to use about half of an ounce of simple syrup. Now, some people may say add a little bit of like granulated sugar or powdered sugar and some water. Well, they're just making simple syrup in the glass, so it's basically the same thing. So if you have simple syrup already, use about a half of an ounce of simple syrup. Take those two ingredients and muddle them together. Now, anytime you muddle mint, you, you know, a lot of bartenders still work way too hard at muddling mint. And I've joked about it before. It's the truth. Like, the object here is not to make pesto. The object is to just release the essence of the mint. So a couple touches with the muddler. If you don't have a muddler at home, a back of a wooden spoon or something like that will work as well. Um, just to extract some of the essence of the mint. At this point, you can fill up your glass with about three, about three quarters of the way with crushed ice. Um, and then add your whiskey, about two and a half ounces of bourbon. Now, the wild turkey that I'm using is 101 proof. I'm using classic 101 wild turkey bourbon. Um, so it's, so it's, it's a bit stronger. Some whiskeys will be in usually in the 90 to 95 range. So this is a bit stronger, um, but about two and a half ounces. So you have two and a half ounces of whiskey to your half of an ounce of simple syrup. Think of it um, kind of as a version of an old-fashioned, except you're leaving out bitters and kind of adding in mint. Okay, that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, then, at this point, you take your bar spoon or something and stir all the ingredients together, kind of to incorporate the mint and the sugar from the bottom of the glass up into the whiskey. While you're doing this, you'll see that the drink and the ice starts to settle in and the dilution process starts to begin. Then just top off your cup or your glass or your julep, whatever, with more crushed ice to the very top. Garnish it with a nice sprig of mint and, um, you know, stick a straw on it or don't, whatever, however you want to drink it. But that's the drink. That's it. Super easy. Um, but it is absolutely a classic. It's going to be gorgeous out this weekend. And um, it's a drink that everybody can get into with sim- simple things that you have at the store or on your bar already, and it's, it's, it's perfect for watching the race or enjoying the weather this weekend. Is it going to be 101 degrees? I love it, man. Yeah. I, th- I thought I saw 99, but I'll take 101 too. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. You, you put it on Instagram for us? Yeah, I'm going to put it on Instagram here shortly, um, and uh, so everybody will kind of keep an eye on it. I'll probably send it to my dad too because he doesn't have an Instagram, and I want to make sure he knows how to make this drink. <laughs> Hey, JR makes drinks on Instagram, at JR Starkus on Twitter, Kitty Gown Executive, Southern Glaze Wine Spirits, Nevada, here uh, by Liquor World. We appreciate it, buddy, and uh, go make yourself $600 million somehow. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'll share with you guys, all right? Thanks, JR. Thanks, JR. Jeez. Oh, yeah, only 99. Beautiful day for JR Starkus. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, here's your chance. We're giving away a Golden Knights jersey, plus... A chance to win a couple of tickets to a Golden Knights game. Caller number 18 right now at 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want a free Golden Knights jersey and a pair of tickets, or a chance to win a pair of tickets to a future Golden Knights game. 702-364-1100. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? 
tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Watch. Um, so it's real. I saw it. I'm glad the Navy finally confirmed some uh, some more pictures. Uh, now everybody doesn't think I'm as crazy. Um, I believe. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Congratulations to Darius. Darius has won a Golden Knights jersey. He is also entered to win a pair of tickets to a Golden Knights game in the future. A special thanks to Finley Volvo for helping us with this giveaway. Swedish elegance and world-renowned safety await at Finley Volvo. Visit them at FinleyVolvo.com. We've got another jersey to give away, and another person will be entered to win a pair of tickets to a Golden Knights game. So make sure you are listening tomorrow for that. Um, okay. We only well, we only have a few minutes left. So, Ed, give me a give me a prediction. Who the hell are the 49ers picking at number three? Oh, I thought we were going Raiders. Um, Trey we Lance. already did Raiders, didn't we? Did we not? Did we Trey not? Lance. Did you not give a prediction on the Raiders? He's not allowed to give out. Picks, Actually, we, think, we talked about like positions. I'll say Trey Lance. Trey Lance. Oh, that is man. leaning I, towards Trey Lance. Leaning yes, I'm leaning Trey towards, Lance. Leaning towards Trey Lance. Okay. Does Justin Fields fall the furthest in the draft then of the five quarterbacks? Yes. Well, wait a minute. Does any does anybody like Mac Jones besides the 49ers? That's what, and that's what we don't know. I mean, you know, they uh, who knows? I mean, like the Raiders and most of them do a pretty good job of just like either putting out false information or not saying anything. So I, it goes back to Damon Arnett and, and when they picked him, and I thought Adam made a good point. He's like everyone on the mocks said it was a bad draft, but you never heard from the teams, so you never knew where the teams ranked Damon Arnett. I mean, that's just that's just people who have nothing to do with teams guessing and, you know, trying to figure out what the needs are of teams. So there's going to be a lot of people who Mac, like Mac Jones. There might be nobody. I, I, am, I, I don't know. So it does seem like uh, it's Mac Jones or Trey Lance for them, and I'll just go with Trey Lance. All right. I got one. I think Trevor Lawrence gets drafted by the Jags. I think you might get one right, Jared. You might have, our, sharp, our sharp should have predicted sharp. that. Should yes, have predicted yeah, exactly. Trevor Lawrence. Yes. Um, I am the the player I'm fascinated to see is where does Kyle Pitts go? Uh, how how high is somebody going to pick a tight end? I would be fascinated to see him go to Atlanta because if you're I know they tried to trade him, but you'd have Julio Jones and Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley. Um, like that passing offense could be really really good. Falcons would still find a way to go seven and nine, or I guess seven and ten now, and not make the playoffs. But but their fourth uh, quarters, man, their fourth quarters are going to be crazy. Score a lot of points, but I I'm fascinated. How high does a tight end go in Kyle Pitts, and and then ultimately when he plays, is he immediately like the fifth best tight end in football, or or is he just sort of an average tight end that uh, you're kind of hoping turns into one of the top five tight ends in football? Real quick. Does a team draft a running back in the first round? And which, why is it the Giants? Because Gettleman's an idiot. I thought the Steelers are like already like guaranteed to take Najee Harris. All in on Alabama, right? Yeah, I think like I, I've read like four things that say Najee Harris is yeah. going to the Steelers. It's and yeah. it's 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 kind of like when the Raiders drafted Josh Jacobs. Like everybody predict, predicted that pick, and no other teams wanted him. 
that early. So I was like, yeah, okay, that's going to happen. It's, it's going to be the same thing. The Steelers take Najee Harris and nobody else wants Najee Harris in the first round. So they get him no matter what. And they could have probably just wait and take him later. But yeah, Najee Harris goes in the first round and the Steelers regret it immediately. Raiders trade down.